Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. If you want to open up to Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 6. And uh, I'm super excited about the message, and I'm, I'm even more excited because I feel like that what God's already doing in the house kind of sets us up to see something here that I want to be able to point out to you. Uh, for those of you that have been part of the church, at least, you know, the, at, for this year, in January, even though we were come out of some crazy weird stuff in the culture and, you know, on, on the backside of the COVID pandemic, we just felt like the Lord put a theme in our heart that we were to begin to set our, our sights on breakthrough. In fact, we came up with this phrase that we're going to believe that God will do what only God can do. So we're not just looking at those little blessings, Lord, kind of step it up a level and enhance it. We're looking at those areas that they're, that's just impossible. We're looking at those areas that we used to be excited about, but somewhere over time, we just kind of started whittling it down, saying, well, maybe we just need to you know, relax and be more realistic about this. But we're revisiting them, not in our own ambition, not in our own passion, but we're revisiting them in light of what, what the Lord's doing and what the Bible says and say, Lord, should we give up on that? Or is that something we should say, well, we're at a place where only you can do this, but you can do this. And so we just felt like the Lord was saying that. And, and one of the theme scriptures that we've been carrying for a while that just seemed to blossom, kind of a whole new branch in this, was Isaiah chapter 43, uh, particularly verse 19. And I want you to see it uh, with me. This is from the New Living Translation. This is God speaking to the children of Israel. He says, for I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. But then he asks them a question. He says, do you not see this? Are you not paying attention? And, and let me just be honest with you. There's a lot of Christians who don't. God will be doing something and God will be moving and he's already making these little t- turns and these little adjustments and, and having these little you know, awakenings and these little insights. And, but people are so busy oftentimes waiting for the spectacular that they miss the supernatural. They don't recognize God's doing something. Let me put it in a, in a simpler illustration so you don't get all tangled up in like mystical stuff, right? So people are, are, are wanting landscaping, but they keep going out in the morning of their life and looking out the door, hoping that a landscaping company came in the middle of the night and planted all full-grown bushes, and you've got a fully blossoming tree, and you've got, you know, sod laid all over the place. And yet the Bible says in Mark chapter 4, the kingdom works like God plants seeds. You don't come out your window and look and say, huh, Look at that. There's a little tiny sprout there. Wonder what the Lord's doing. And that's exactly what he's trying to prompt them to do. To do. He's saying, listen, would you open up your eyes? In fact, in other translations, it says, can you not perceive this? It means you may not even see it with your natural eye, but are you not sensing something on the inside? Are you not recognizing that God's moving and God's stirring? And then he makes two pathways. He says, listen, if you'll pay attention to what I'm doing and you'll recognize I'm already supernaturally, I'm already making these adjustments. He said, before I'm done, I'm, I'm putting something into the text, but go read it. He says, I will make a pathway through the wilderness. And that's talking about, I'm going to create a road so that you can go to somewhere that you've not been able to live before. The wilderness is a place where no, nobody, nobody's living there. 
you might have visited. You might have drove out there one time and thought, this is, man, it'd be nice to have a piece of property right here. It'd be nice to, to, for us to be here, metaphorically speaking, in your life. But then you come back and say, yeah, but there's no way we're going to be able to get there. And God says, watch me. Watch me. Let me do something in your life, and I'll create pathways where you'll get farther and in different places that you never thought possible. But he's not finished. Listen, he said, and I'll create rivers in the dry wasteland. The wilderness is where people aren't living. The wasteland is where people can't live. There's no resource out there. There's no water. There's no way you can sustain it. But God says, watch this. I'll take those land that not only did you thought we can never get there, but there's that other part that you thought that's just not even possible. I mean, it's just out of the question. He says, watch what I'll do. Watch me resource it. Watch me carve a river right to that section so that you now can sustain life and you can move forward. But listen, the key is, are you paying attention and perceiving what he's doing? Well, listen, I'm telling you, I'm watching it happen here, not always in the big spectacular splashes. We had one of those experiences this morning. It's like, wow, this is like extra special. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're growing in our worship, but this was extra special this morning, and I was, I was watching it. I'm paying attention to it and say, okay, that's just another step, but I'm watching it happen all the way through our pastors, through our staff, through our leaders, through our church, through individual people and families in the church as they're anchoring themselves to the foundations of God's word and they're opening themselves up to the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, God is doing exactly what he promised. So we we wanted to stay on this and we wanted to complement it. So we began a summer series of studies. So the little mini studies. And uh, and we're basing it out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13 that, that says, now abides faith, hope, and love but the greatest of these are love. And these are three giant essential building blocks. If you can understand how faith, if you can understand how hope, and if you can understand how the love of God works, then you'll be able to recognize when God's doing supernatural things so that God can build it to do something spectacular in your life. And, and, and the, the Bible's really clear. If, if I had to sum, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing what Paul wrote. If I had to sum it up to three things, it's these three things. Faith, hope, and love, like, like the basics. So we just finished a series on love, talking about the love of God. We took that one first because uh, the, it, it ends up and says the greatest of these is love. Okay, if that's the greatest, let's bring that one to the front. And so we studied the love of God first, but today we're going to start a series on hope. And I'm excited about this one because there's a lot of teaching on faith and a lot of teaching on love, not just here, but, but across, you know, the big sea, the church around the globe, but not really always a lot of great Bible teaching on hope. And we kind of superimpose what we think we know about hope, what we've grown up experiencing and how we've expressed hope. And we just kind of pull that into the scripture and it kind of sort of fits, but doesn't really fit. And so we're going to look and see what does the Bible say about hope. And the title of today's message is Hope and Anchor for the Soul. And I want you to notice that even in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 13, 13, it says that now abides faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, so let, let's bring that to the front, and let's bring faith to the bottom. It doesn't matter where you move it. Hope is the hinge in the middle. And this is so important that you understand this, because if you don't understand Bible hope, and you don't know how to, let me just use this phrase, get your hopes up, then you're not going to be able to grow in faith. 
You're going to be limited in your expectation of what you think God will do because you didn't let God paint the picture or frame in for you what Christ provided and what he wants to do for you in the future. Hope is so, so important as a hinge here, and you'll find that when you have hope growing in your life, you'll find that faith and the love of God are growing as well. And so we're going to study hope today, and we're going to talk about this. In fact, let me back up a little bit. Uh, Part of the reason we have to look at it from a Bible lens is because uh, the way we express hope is usually as a wish. You know, we say, well, I hope so, like fingers crossed, you know, like if by some stroke of luck and if everything comes together, then maybe it would be possible. But, But some of us recognize the danger of that, and so we're like, yeah, but I'm not getting my hopes up. In other words, I don't want to be disappointed because this may not happen. I mean, it's possible, I guess, way out there, the odds are really stacked, but, but it's possible. And so we have this kind of very untethered, it's, it's just a floating kind of a wish. It's a strong desire. And man, if we did that, that'd be so cool. But man, don't, just don't bank on it because that's kind of out there. And listen to me, that is not at all what Bible hope tells us. Not at all. And by the way, that's even more important because in case you haven't noticed, we're living in a world that is infected by sin and the consequences of sin. And, and the, the, the culture, the worldview, kind of the people's trying to bring answers and understanding and solutions to what's going on in the world is getting farther and farther away from God. No surprise, by the way, the New Testament tells us that's exactly what would happen. But here's what happens for people in the world, as they see all of these things spinning out of control, even for optimistic people, it's harder and harder to be hope-filled. They start fighting discouragement more than ever before, bewilderment, despair. Again, in the New Testament, that's exactly what would happen to the point that people's hearts would fail them, not necessarily cardiac arrest. But they wouldn't have the, the strength. They wouldn't have the ability to hold it together and kind of, you know, like, come on, get, get, take heart, get, get, get yourself in the game. Well, you can't do that when there's so much craziness out there, you don't see a way out anymore. But listen to me, it's not just affecting people without Christ, it's affecting the church. To the point that for a long time now, many Christians are reading their Bible differently than the Bible was preached. Because they see what God says, and they acknowledge, man, I know he can do that. But for me to hope or to expect him to do that, oh, come on now. Come on, I, I don't deserve that. I, I know me. I know me. And then they also look around, and by the way, I know that person, and I know this person, and I know that person. And they, they were wanting God to do something too, and so were they. And, and we've, got a, we've got so many reasons why the Bible may not be as true as the Bible says it's true, but of course, we're never going to say that. Oh no, that's the Bible. That's God's Word. And so we live with this disconnect and this incongruency, like, well, yeah, that's what God said. But pulling it into my life, I have to kind of tweak it and tailor it and water it down and dilute it. And, well, I know he can, but we'll just see if he's really going to do it. The funny thing is we don't live that way with anybody else in our life. We don't make promises, at least not intentionally. We don't make promises that we don't intend to keep. I'm not saying that we keep all of our promises Sometimes circumstances get in a mess. Sometimes we overpromise and underdeliver. But listen to me, the intent of at least a, an upright person should be if you can't do it or you don't at least have a heart to do it, don't promise it. Right? 
But somehow we don't bring that over to God. I mean, let's just be rational just for a minute, right? We're not being sacrilegious. We're not disrespecting the Lord. We're trying to sort this out so we can be authentic, real Christ followers. Do we really believe that God is a God that would promise you something that he didn't intend to do for you? Would you do that to your children? Would you say, hey, listen, come here, come here, come here. Listen, I promise you we're going to Disney World this summer. Yeah! exciting, exciting. And then they turn around and walk out and, you know, and, and your, your spouse is looking at you. We're going to Disney World? No, we're not going to Disney World. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe. I'm just trying to give them something to hang on to. That's abusive. It is. I mean, that's just wrong on so many levels. But, but we look at the Word of God and somehow we've got this religious, doctrinal twist on it where we, we've made ourselves feel okay with it. God can actually say stuff and we believe that he said it, and therefore we have to say it's true, but we just don't believe that he's intending to really do that for us. In what other relationship world does that work? None. And so we're going to look at some things today, and we're going to ask three very fundamental questions about hope. Let me, let me rephrase, about Bible hope. Okay, so make sure you know we're focused on that. And we're going to answer it with three foundational truths. And this is really, really, really going to help us. Because as, as we understand what Bible hope means, Bible hope is going to, is going to take such a solid, uh, fundamental stance or a place in your life that it's something you can build on. In fact, let me just give you this. The word hope in the Greek is the word elpis. And it actually means a joyful but a confident expectation now, I'm going to narrow it to the New Testament, to the Bible, because that's what we're studying. It's a joyful and a confident expectation based on the person and the work and the promise of Jesus Christ. I, I, I like to say it this way. This is my own definition. It just kind of frames, you know, a grid for me uh, in my mind. But I like to say it this way. Hope, Bible hope, is God's intended future for us framed in by a promise given to us. Bible hope, remember that's an expectation. It's not a, well, I really wish, I really wish. Well, no, I, I would never have thought about that. I would never have wished that. That's far too lofty, too wonderful for me. But God initiated a promise. And when he initiated that promise, he framed in what I now believe he wants to see happen in my future. He framed that in for me so that I can go back and say, well, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. I certainly don't know why it would ever happen. But God promised me that it would. And so now I can live with an expectation that this is what's going to happen. Let me give you an example. Uh, when Debbie and I, Debbie and I were in ministry for uh, quite a while, 18 years, and uh, honestly, we, we were, when we were doing what we're talking about here, we were trusting the promises of God, but we just didn't see any way in the natural we were ever going to be able to own our own home. We'd lived in church parsonages, and we lived in, you know, some rentals that were really discounted, and, and, and we, but we were trusting, Lord, you, you made some promises here, and we, you know, we had them circled, so for 18 years, we were thanking the Lord, and sometimes that was really hard because it looked like it was getting farther and farther away. Well, when we came to South Carolina, uh, the way that everything worked out, we realized, oh, I, I think we can actually do it. In fact, to our great surprise, we just didn't have to, uh, we, we, we just weren't able to own a home. We actually found out that because of what was going on, we could have a home built. 
And that was like, you know, right there, that just blew our mind. Like, wait, what? What? We go from not being able to get one to we get to pick out the lot and we get to pick out the, the kind of the type of house. And, and it wasn't a custom home, so we didn't get to pick out everything. But there were some things we got to pick out enough to where we felt like, oh, my gosh, we've gone to heaven here. This is great. And so we did. So we sat in the office of the developer and we negotiated, you know, on the contract and the price and, and looked at their kind of their big plot of all the different uh, spar- parcels of land and how the community was being built and come together. And we're like, that one. We like that one right there. And this is why. And he said, yeah, that one's available. Okay, now here's four or five different houses you can choose from. What? And so we looked and we're looking at price and we're looking at our family and growth and, you know, what would kind of fit on the lot. And we finally decided, okay, we want that house. And he said, okay, let's wrap it up in contract. And no, Debbie went on and and picked out carpet and countertops and cabinets and flooring and all kind of stuff. And we're like, woohoo, this is great. So we got a signed contract. We rolled out of there and we drove down partially paved and then dirt roads to the plot. And we stood there in front of a big patch of dirt. And we looked at the brochure, and we looked at the dirt, we got a house. But then it started raining, like it's, like it's been doing now. And it rained, we had a rainy, rainy, rainy season. And building was delayed, building was delayed, especially the first phase, because the first phase you have to dig the foundation. Can't really do that in the mud and the slush. And so it was delayed, delayed. But nevertheless, at least once a week, we drove out there, even in the rain, and we'd stand there and we'd look at the plot and we'd look at the brochure. We got a house. (laughs) But we didn't have a house. But we expect to have a house. Because we're holding a contract and we're holding a picture of what our future will be once this house gets built. It took months and months and months, longer than they said, but you know, it was justifiable because of weather and et cetera, et cetera. But at some point, the framing started going up. And we'd go in there and we look at the framing and we look at the picture, we got a house. We don't have a house, but we got a house. And we'd walk all through there. We, you know, we signed our names and we wrote scriptures and, and we, you know, we, we examined, looked at different things. And, and then pretty soon after that, the house was closed up, had a roof on it, had plumbing, electrical, had drywall in it. And little by little by little until one day we had our final date. We walked through the house and they signed off and gave me the keys. I couldn't believe they were giving me the keys. Now I believed it once I got the mortgage payment. I'm like, oh, that's why they gave me the keys. But I couldn't believe they were giving me the keys. And it's like, you mean I don't have to ask anybody's permission if I'm going to paint a wall? I don't have to ask anybody's permission if we're going to do something different in the yard? No, no, it's your house. Wow. But it was our house. But my point is that we knew from the time we signed the contract, we had a picture of an expectation that had been framed in for us. At some point, we're going to have this right there. Yep, I can see it right now. It's going to be right there. And that's going to be our house. Do you know that's exactly what the Bible's trying to do with the word of God in your life. And so many Christians are living kind of in a state of bewilderment and wondering because they're watching the weather in the world, the storms blowing around, and they're like, yeah, but we're never going to. Well, because God said you are. And so we have to understand how how does this work. So let me just get to the first question, and we're going to march through this, and I'm going to show you some scripture. Question number one, then, what is hope? What is hope? And let me just give you the answer, and then we're going to see it in Scripture. Hope is the expectation of good that's founded, or I could say foundationed, in the person and the promise of Jesus. 
The Bible says this is what was given to you because of what Jesus did. So because of what Jesus did, not because of what you and I did, because of what Jesus did, you have now promises in a covenant with God that you can now say, okay, then that's how we're expecting our life to begin to look. We don't know when it's going to get there. We have no idea how it's going to get there, and I'll never be able, able to explain why God would take me there, but he said he would. It's a promise. And so this is what hope means. Now, I should turn to Hebrews chapter 6 because the author of Hebrew uses this concept of hope and he mixes in faith and he, he mixes in patience. He uses this whole idea of hope because he's writing to a group of Christians that have been scattered because of persecution. They thought they were running fast, but Jesus was coming quick, so no big deal. We can camp out and do whatever we have to do for a little while, but it's been a long while now. And the persecution's still going on. And they're starting to get discouraged and wonder if they made a mistake by leaving their family behind, by leaving their business behind, by leaving their, you know, their, their, their neighborhood where they grew up behind, all to serve the Lord. And so the author of Hebrew is writing, trying to convince and encourage them that even though you're going through tough times, you need to stay faithful because God will do what he promised he would do. Let's start in Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 10. Verse number 10. I'm in the New King James, but I'm going to switch in a couple minutes to the New Living Translation, and I'll explain why. New King James, verse number 10. It says, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown towards his name. In other words, you're serving the Lord, following Christ. In that, here's some of the ways that you've demonstrated that. In that, you ministered to the saints and do minister. In other words, you've been ministering, loving other people. You've been following Christ, doing what he said to the best of your ability. And by the way, you're still doing that. You're fighting discouragement. You're getting tired, but you haven't quit. You're still in there. And he says, I'm writing because I want you to know God doesn't overlook anything. God's watching it all. He's, he's, he sees it all unfold. And listen to me, God will never be outdone. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says that, uh, that, that uh, those who want to please God do it by faith but because we know that he is God and he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This is what he's talking about here. And the word rewarder there not, is not only talking about God will give you the payout that he promised you. But listen, that's a, that's a very complex and a wonderful word because not only will God give you the payout, listen, God will give you the payback. God's not going to be in debt to anybody. And so God's watching all that it costs you to invest in every area of your life and you're following and you're working and you're trusting and you're believing and it's taken a long time and you're starting to wonder if you missed it and are you discouraged? And he says, God's watching and I'm telling you, God will do what he promised he would do. You're doing it, keep doing it. And now he's going to encourage you because God's watching. Look at verse number 11. It says, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence that's the same way you started. Okay, we're going to trust the Lord. All right, God's going to do what he said. We're going to get back on the straight and narrow. Show the same diligence, notice, to the full assurance of hope. He goes on and he says, until the end, or until it comes to pass, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. And I can almost hear some people think, yeah, 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 we, we understand that, we agree with that, but that's talking about heaven. That's talking about eternity, that one day God's going to reward us for all this, in which case I would give you the high five and say, I couldn't agree with you more. 
But let me add this. It's not just talking about eternity. You say, well, how do you know that, Pastor Gil? Because he's not finished. And he's going to turn a corner right here that's going to show you I'm not just talking about what happens when you get to heaven. I'm talking about what God promises to do to bring a little bit of heaven down to earth. It's all the way through the Bible, but just, just so that his readers don't miss, he's going to help them to see it here without any shadow of a doubt. Now, this one, I'm going to switch to the New Living Translation. I don't want to risk we're going to get you know, kind of caught up in any technical language. I want you to see it as plain as it was intended, the way they would have read it. So we're going to switch to the New Living Translation, but it's the very next verse, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. It says, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham. That got their attention, I guarantee you. Because Abraham was not only the father of the Jewish nation, but Abraham was the father of faith. And if you mention Abraham, lots of times to bring credence to something, they they would acknowledge it or they would kind of sign it off in a benediction, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And boy, when they said that, that's the giant seal. Yeah, this must be, they must mean business. This is real big stuff. And so he gets their attention. He says, for example, let's talk about God's promise to Abraham. Well, now they're sitting up straight. And he said, since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath. And we did a series uh, earlier called the, the under, under Contract. And we went back to Genesis chapter 15 and did a whole study about what this oath means. This is a blood covenant. And if you want to know what it looked like, you want to know when God made it to Abraham, it's spelled out in very clear and vivid language in Genesis chapter 15. He says, since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name saying to Abe, by the way, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Now remember at the time, Abraham is childish and uh, not childish, childless. To the point that he's been asking God, hey, listen, you've blessed me with wealth, and I I got a lot of great stuff, and I'm getting older and older. Uh, I got to be able to pass this off to somebody. I don't have anybody to pass it off to. And so Abraham's coming up with plans. How about my servant Eliezer? How how about he's a good man? Let me kind of adopt him into my family, and, and he'll be the one I pass everything off to. And God says, no, 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 not him. Well, then, you know, him and Sarai had a good plan, and he decided Hagar, that she could help him out. And here comes Ishmael, and he's messing the whole thing up. But he, God got to the point where he said, listen, I don't want you to think that I'm not paying attention. I made a promise. And I've got a plan and I will do exactly what I said. So let me do something to help you along. And so he signed a contract in blood. He made a blood covenant. And I want you to notice verse 13 says, Then, or once Abraham realized God locked himself into a covenant. This wasn't just kind of a verbal exchange and he walked away thinking, yeah, God was serious. And God walked away thinking, well, I was just kind of telling you what I'd like to do, my intent, but I'm not locking in. There was no question about it. It says, then Abraham waited patiently. It's the Greek word, uh, when you read the Septuagint, it's the Greek word makrothumia. We're going to get to it at the end, I hope. But hold on to that in your mind. Then Abraham, uh, then Abraham waited patiently and, or some translations say, until he received what God had promised. Brace yourself, that was 25 years. 25 years it took. I told you guys that Debbie and I waited 18 years for a house. God was faithful. We always had a place to live. 
We always had money. We always paid our bills and always had plenty to eat. And, and he even blessed us with little things so that, you know, our family and our kids weren't hurting. We weren't like suffering for Jesus. But there were certain things that God had put in our heart. And we, we talked to him about it. We said, listen, if we don't ever get a house, then okay, we're willing to do that. Nope. But there's the promise. And God says, no, no I'm, I'm going to do it for you 18 years later. In fact, the last two years before we knew we were going to get a house were rough, rough, rough. The enemy was pounding us, pounding us. Just give it up. Give it up. And we almost did a couple of times. We kept coming back. But the Bible says if, if it wasn't for that, we'd, we'd have tossed it a long time ago. There's no way. And then 18 years later. So Abraham's waiting 25 years. And, and, and so, so they said, and he said, remember that promise to Abraham? Remember how all this unfolded? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we remember that. We have it recorded in the scrolls. We read about this and we pass these stories on to our kids. And so he's like letting that sink in for a minute. And then he says, okay, I know you're going through hard stuff. I know it's really discouraging. But he said, don't forget the father of our faith, the father of our nation. Abraham did it. And if he can do it, so can we. In fact, from this point on, verse 16, he's going to begin to say, now let me show you how it works so you can know how to begin to build this hope and this patience on the inside so that you can be faithful just like Abraham. So verse 16, Hebrews chapter 6, it says, now when people take an oath, we would say when we sign a contract today. Back then it was a blood oath, a blood covenant. Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold us to it. We have it notarized or it's in the court. And if someone breaks the contract, we have legal uh, ability to hold them to the contract or to get them to pay penalties. And so we know when you sign a contract, you better be careful because you're locking in. This is serious. There, there's a method and a system in our country that will hold people accountable, or at least that's what it's supposed to do. Right? And so he's saying here, here's what we know, that, uh, that when someone it takes an oath, and, and they're, they're, they're leaning in to have someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. Notice this. And, and once they do, or, and without question, that oath is binding. So we get the contract part. Every single one of us do. We feel so good when we're signing a contract. We feel so nervous when we have to be the signer, right? But, but we get it. He goes on and he says, God also bound himself with an oath. What? I mean, that, that's something right there that so many Christians just like, wait a minute, that's going to take me like a week to get my head wrapped around that. Because we know that God's a sovereign God, right? And we've kind of imposed in that sovereignty, he can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, to anybody he wants, with any means he wants. And I'll say yes, 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 and yes. But one of the first things he wanted to do was to sign a contract. I don't know why. I'm so grateful that he did. But he wanted to, to commit himself, and it's going to tell you why in just a minute. He bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure. Other translations say supremely confident or beyond any shadow of a doubt, listen to this, that he would never change his mind. How many Christians do we know today who use this kind of as a mantra? Well, you never know what God's going to do. I do. I do. I don't know when he's going to do it. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know through what means he's going to do it. And there's a whole lot of other questions that, that are part of the process. But I know what he's going to do in most areas of life because he spelled it out and he promised, this is what I will do. Now, you, you got to let this sink in. because let, Think about the healthiest relationship you have. 
Think about the relationships that when you're in trouble, you run to that person. Hopefully, you know, it's right inside your inner circle, but for some people it's not. You're still developing that. And so you have a a best friend or you have a parent or you have somebody else and that's your go-to person. But listen, think about the go-to person and here's what I can promise you. The reason they're the go-to person because you know what they'll do. You don't know how they're going to do it. You don't know to what extent. You don't have, there's all these questions, but you know when you call them, they're going to say, I got you, man. I got you. I got you. But we don't even believe that about God. And yet this was the whole thing that he's trying to get them to understand that, listen, Abraham was able to hang on because Abraham recognized, oh, well, if you're going to sign a contract, then yeah, now, okay, now, now I get it. Now, now I know for sure that you're in and you're not planning on coming back out. Let's keep reading here because this, this is really important that we hear it straight from the scripture. Uh, so Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 says, So God has given both his promise and his oath. Now let that sink in for a minute. This is God who never lies, right? So if God came to you and said, listen, I, I promise you I'm going to do this, you, you'd think that's good enough. He's God, never promises. But God was so, so passionate that we would never, ever doubt his promise that God said, in fact, tell you what, uh, I know that my promise might get a little shaky for you sometimes because you're looking at everything going on, so I'm going to sign a contract. And he said, and now you have two things to hang on to. Number one, I promised, I don't lie. If I said it, I promise that should be good enough. But just because I really want you to be extra sure, he said, I'm going to sign a contract. And this is what it says. He says, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable. Well, we ought to just memorize that. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. And therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and a trustworthy anchor for our souls, and it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary where Jesus has already gone in there for us and has become the eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now remember, the author's trying to convince, to encourage these believers, God hasn't forgot you. God's promise is still true. I don't know why, I don't know how, I don't know, you know what reason it's taken so long, but listen to me, don't lose your passion. Don't lose your commitment. You hang on to what God said, because if God said it, God will bring it to pass. And he's trying to show them when you anchor this in, when you let what God promised and the fact that he covenanted, he contracted himself to do the promise, all of a sudden, that promise is not just, well, God would love to do this, that's kind of his heart because he loves you, but we'll just kind of have to see, no, it's locked in. And that that frames an expectation in for you. And that expectation, the Bible said, becomes an anchor for your mind and an anchor for your emotions so that you're flopping all over the place because the circumstance and the craziness and the chaos of the day is screaming, this is never going to change. This is how it's going to be. In fact, it's probably going to get worse. And you need to have something that will anchor you back that will anchor you back, and that's exactly what God's promise is. Again, verse 19 says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy 
anchor for our soul. So the first thing we learned is what is hope? Well, hope is a framed in expectation based on what Jesus did and what Jesus promised he would yet do. But here's question number two, then what does hope do? And it should be kind of obvious if you're kind of tracking with the study, but let me just answer it. Hope acts as an anchor for the soul. Now, this word anchor is really important, too, because it's not just a metaphor. It, it does have a metaphor application, but it's not just a metaphor. It literally is talking about that, you know, giant, weighty, uh, metal, uh, usually metal device that's dropped by a chain or a cable to prevent a vessel or a boat from just moving around. It holds them to one spot depending on the length of the chain or the length of the rope. Metaphorically, this is used elsewhere, you know, to anchor yourself and, and it's used to stabilize or to steady you so you're not shifted and moved around. But the reason I wanted you to see the literal nautical application is because this is how it feels when we're living in life. Think about a ship that has dropped its anchor. First of all, it's in an ocean with constant currents moving around and if it didn't have an anchor, who knows where that ship would go? just depending on where the currents would take it. But let's accelerate the picture and let's say that we're in a storm now. I mean, it, it's wind, giant blowing all over the place and, and, and this ship is, I mean, it's just got no way to control itself, but it's experiencing this incredible tossing and waves and, and the wind shredding its sails. But listen to me, the ship is anchored, but I want you to notice while the ship's in chaos, the anchor far below is anchored in a place that's calm. And steady, nothing's changing that down there. That's going to be in the same place whether the storm's here or not. It's right there. And this is how we experience it. And if you don't understand hope, if you don't understand the solidness of the picture that the promise of God brings you, then you might, in the middle of a storm, try to read the promise of God for a little bit of comfort. But after you read it, be like, I wish that would happen to me. I really wish you would do this for me. Instead of saying, that's what you promised you would do. Now, let me read you a couple examples because the Bible is full of how people have applied this. Listen to Psalm uh, 42, verse 5. This is David speaking. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Because uh, we're in a storm? Because people are trying to kill me? <laughs> because I've been thrown out and branded as a, as a treasonist? Because I've, I've lost my family contact? Because my, my son is trying to overthrow my kingdom and my government. I mean, just the list goes on and on, right? What, what, what do you mean, why am I upset? What do you mean, why am I a little bit anxious here? What do you mean, why am I discouraged? Because I'm in a storm. But he goes on and he says, hope in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. The message translation says, but fix your eyes on God and soon you'll be praising him again because he'll put a smile on your face, that's why he's God. See, this is the difference. We live in turmoil and chaos. But I want you to understand, even in that turmoil and chaos, we should be anchored down into a place that's unchanging, that's unchangeable, that's never disturbed, that's always in peace and always quiet. And when we open the word of God, the promises of God don't just inspire us a little bit, the promises of God anchor us and pull us back into a place of calm and say, no, 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 it's gonna be okay. When do you think it's going to be? I don't know when it's going to be over. Well, how do you think? I, I don't know how we're going to do it. I just know that God is going to do it because he promised it and then he locked himself into a contract. 
so that I could have this assurance, so that I could be sure beyond any shadow of a doubt that he's going to do what he promised he would do. Let me give you one more example in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 5. This is not just an example of how it's played out. It's an example of what it's doing in your life as it plays out. Watch this. He says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Who does that? Nobody does that. If you're talking about our emotions, if you're talking about our comfort, if you're talking about where where we want to kind of live all the time, nobody's doing that. But people that understand spiritual things recognize, no, 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 there's something happening beyond what's going on in the winds blowing. He says, I glory in tribulation knowing, because here's what I understand, that tribulation produces perseverance. Stop. Actually, tribulation, the actual word there says, gives opportunity. You know, some people say, well, you know, if you want patience, go through bad stuff. Well, going through bad stuff doesn't necessarily give you patience. It will give you the opportunity to develop patience. There's a lot of people that go through bad stuff, and they are the most impatient people because they've gone through bad stuff. So here it says, here's what we know in the tribulation, that tribulation is producing or giving opportunity to produce perseverance. And perseverance will, is what works on and produces your character. And watch this, and character then produces hope. In other words, character sinks that anchor down deeper and stronger as every time you come around the wind and you go back to the word of God and says, nope, it still says he's going to do this. But it doesn't look like it's changing. Yeah, I know that. So we're going to have to buckle down and stay in here one more day because God's word is true. And every time you do that, you add another link to the chain and it goes deeper. And every time you do that, you wedge that thing into the rock a little bit harder and you develop these things in your life to where later on in life, you might go through a bigger storm, doesn't even phase you. Why aren't you upset? Why would I be? God promised me he's going to get me through this. He's either going to take me through it Or he's going to take me around or over it. Or he's going to shield me from it. One of the three doesn't really matter to me. All I know is I'm destined for the other side because this is what he promised me in the word. But see, we have to recognize going through this stuff is the only thing that's going to secure that anchor. It's the only thing that's going to give you the test to to know, boy, this stuff really does work. And sometimes it'll take, it'll take a while. So question number two then is what, what is hope for and hope's an anchor of the soul? Let's get down to question number three and we're going to finish it right here. Then why is hope important? I, I know that these are almost obvious and I'm hoping they are because I'm hoping you're moving through. And when I point this out, it's like obvious, but let me give you answer number three. Hope keeps us in faith and patience until God's promise is fulfilled. Let me go back to verse 11 again. We're in Hebrews chapter 6. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence. In other words, the way you started, just as passionate and as committed, and God's going to do this thing because he's God, because he promised. He said, you got to hold on to that now. I'm not saying you feel that way all the time, but your conviction, what anchors you down on the inside, you got to hold on to that to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. This is really important. Now listen to this. Don't, don't check out. We're almost done. I promise. Listen, it says that we're going to follow those who inherit the promise. Listen carefully, not earned the promise, not deserve the promise. 
These are people that just buckled down and just anchored into God made a promise and then he sealed it with a contract in blood. He's not about to break his word. If he said it, he will do it. We know that. I don't care what it looks like. I'm going to stay anchored and I'm just going to keep coming back and saying, well, God, you said, God, you said, God, you said, God, you said. And he says, we're, we're looking to people not who are earning, but people who are staying in there long enough to inherit the promise. In other words, listen, staying in there to inherit the promise is not about you proving yourself to God. It's about you staying anchored long enough for God to prove himself to you. That's what hope's all about. That's why he said, I, I, not only am I going to promise, I'm going to sign a contract because I want you to be able to hang in there. And if you'll hang in there, I'll prove myself. I'm faithful. I will do what I promised I would do every single time. He's not hit and miss. If he said it, he will do it. All the dads in the room say, that's what I want to be to my kids. All the moms in the room say, that's what I want to be to my kids. All, all the husbands and wives says, that's what I want to be to my spouse. Of course, because this is what God is to us. And so we anchor in there through faith and patience. The word faith is the Greek word pistis, and it just means not just believing God, but believing God to the point that you will realign your thoughts, you'll realign your actions, you'll realign your process, you'll realign decision to according to what God said until you get the result of the promise that he said. And so you just keep coming back to it, keep coming back to it. And circumstance whips you back over here, and you say, yeah, but let's just keep coming back. Let's just keep coming back. I understand that. Lord, give us wisdom to know how to navigate right now. But ultimately, this is what you promised you would do. And I told you to hang on to that Greek word, makathumia, because that's the word patience. And it means an endurance, a consistency, a steadfast, and we've already used the word perseverance. But I'm not talking about just hanging in there. I'm talking about hanging there, in there at the same intensity. We're not talking about someone who's just barely, you know, beleaguered and I just hope I can make it to the finish line. Oh, no, no. You're talking about someone who's still marching strong and straight because of the word of God, because of the power of God, because of the steadfastness of God. Listen, can you imagine what life would be like if you didn't have to fight anxiety and you didn't have to wrestle through all the sideways energy and you didn't have to do all the fighting and the arguing and the strategizing and, and you got a good night's sleep because you weren't up in the middle of the night wringing your hands. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Can you imagine what life would look like? That's where God's trying to get us. Because when we walk in his walk, it's not that we don't encounter problems. It's just that he's got the solutions and he brings us right back to confidence and right back to peace and right back to wisdom and right back to understanding and insight while he's working on the opportunities and the situations to bring everything orchestrated around so it's exactly what he said. Listen, hope is such an extremely important thing. But if you're looking at the word of God and you're seeing what God promised and say, well, I kind of hope he'll do that for me, you're missing it. Because your faith will only rise to the level of your hope. If you're not expecting God to do what he promised, then I'll, I'll tell you, listen, you'll never trust him to do what he promised he would do because you're not even sure he's going to do it. Your kids aren't trusting you to bring them to Disney World this summer unless you promised them you would. Now, if you promised them you would and you're not planning to, you better have a conversation. 
But if you didn't promise them anything, then they don't have any way to say, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just believing mom and dad's going to take us to, to, uh, to Disneyland this summer. Well, or Disney World, rather. I'm from California. Sorry about that. To Disney World this summer. Listen to me. They don't have any basis for that. You won't have any basis to grow and be confident and trust God if you have no idea what God promised you in the first place. Or if you see it in the Bible, but well, you don't really believe that. But if you lock into it and realize, no, God was serious about this. And you only need three things. You need hope, and then you need to be able to build faith, and you need to know that that faith and hope is anchored in the love of God. Boy, if you can understand those three things, and I'm telling you, you can begin to watch the supernatural begin to happen in your life as God little by little by little just changes and adjusts until you're all of a sudden you're experiencing all that he has for you. Hope you've been blessed by God's word this morning. Stand to your feet. Let me pray for you. By the way, I, I meant to say this from the beginning. We have these workbooks. They're online for those of you that like digital stuff. Uh, you can go get them. But they have these workbooks absolutely free. If you didn't pick one up on the way in, pick it up on the way out. Uh, all the scriptures, most of the scriptures that I gave this morning are in there. And you'll be able to take notes. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for loving us enough that you did make promises and sign covenants with us. Holy Spirit, we're going to need your help to renew our mind, to convince us that you meant what you said you meant. So many other opportunities, Lord, to whittle it down and to rationalize it here and marginalize it over there. But Lord, you're looking for people that will just believe you, that will just trust. Listen, that's what he said. And I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, as the supreme teacher to work in our hearts today. Lord, when you stepped in the room earlier in the service, you did it so that you can bless, you can minister, you can heal, you can deliver, you can restore. And I pray that you would sensitize everybody's heart. Don't let anybody walk out of this building today without receiving what you had planned to give them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.